would you name it? This chapter of your life. If you had to give it a chapter title, would you call it killing it? Would you call it getting killed? Would you call it hopeful? Would you call it hopeless? Would you call this chapter alone? I want to say this before we go any further. I do think that you're in this room for a very specific reason. I believe in the idea of divine appointments, uh, that, that, that we actually do serve a God that controls everything in our lives. That, 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 um, now, we do have free will, but somehow within that, free will, a God that allows us to make our choices and do these things, I still believe that God upholds all things and that God has a plan and a purpose for each one of you. And I think that God has you here for a very specific reason today. When I was a kid, I used to watch uh, The Amazing Spider-Man on on TV. It was a cartoon version of Spider-Man. And now that we have Disney+, Plus. Uh, we can watch all the old terrible Spider-Man cartoons with our kids. But I remember when, when I was a kid, they, uh, I remember watching one time and they said, wait till after the episode because Spider-Man has a special message just for you. And I was like, just for me? I mean, I didn't even know Spider-Man knew I existed. And it turned out the special message was like, you know, buy tricks or something like that. It was an advertisement that was really for everybody. But I actually believe that God has a special message just for you today. And you may think that you came here because you chose to come here, and maybe you did choose to come here. But even if you didn't choose, maybe if somebody dragged you here, I want you to know that you're here for a very special purpose. You're here because God has a message for you, and it's not my message. It's not Pastor Terry's message. It's, it's not Nick's message. It's God's message. And the message is found in Romans chapter 8, verse 28. It says this. We know that God works all things together for good for the ones who love God for, who, for those who are called according to his purpose. And that might be kind of a hard thing to hear depending on where you're at in your life. But I, I want to warn you maybe to not name your chapter title too early. Uh, there, there's a, a speaker and writer I really like named Bob Goff. Uh, and he, he says this. He says, some of the best chapters of your life won't have a title until much later. Some of the best chapters of your life won't have a title until much later. Now, I don't know what's going on in your life today, but I do know that there's some people in here who are struggling. I know that there are some people in here in the middle of some really painful situations. And I'm not minimizing what you're going through or what you've been through, but what I will say is that no matter what you're going through, God is going to work all things together for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. That is what we call a promise. Can you say promise? Promise. 
It's a promise of hope. Now, the truth is, we are human beings, and we live in a fallen and broken world. Here's what that means. is That means everybody's going to go through stuff. Everybody's going to go through stuff. People who don't believe are going to experience tragedy. People who don't believe in God are going to experience tragedy. Guess what? People who do believe in God are going to experience tragedy. So that may make you ask this question. Well, if I'm going to go through the same stuff as everybody else, then what good is it to believe in God, to believe in Jesus as my Savior, if I'm still going to go through all the same stuff? The answer is this, the promise of hope. The promise of hope. What separates a follower of Jesus from anybody else is that no matter what we go through, we know that God is working all things together for our good. And we trust in the promises of God. So, so we are in the last week of this sermon series that we've been doing called Hindsight in 2020. We spent the last four weeks uh, where we took stock of our past in order to move forward in confidence in God into the future. And as I said in the past few weeks, we don't want our past to define us, but we do want our past to inform us. It shouldn't define us, but it can inform us. We, we know that our past can teach us lessons that allow us to become the men and women that God has created us to be. And today we're going to talk about how we can look into our past and look for God in our past so that we can trust God with our future. Finding God in those chapters in our past so that we can trust God into our future. Now, as I said, every human being is going to go through hard times. But as a follower of Jesus, we have the promises of God to stand on. The promises of God to stand on. And we're always looking for God's hands, even in difficult times. It's almost like as followers of Jesus, we kind of become detectives looking for God's fingerprints all the time. Anybody into detective shows? Anybody watch uh, Forensic Files? Oh, come on. More of you watch Forensic I can't be the only one. Um, so so I, I, I like this show, Forensic Files. Uh, and it, the thing about it is that it makes you real paranoid all the time when you watch it. You've, I've watched it a bunch. And uh, I've, I've never... Um, I've, I've, I've never committed murder, and, and I'm pretty sure I won't. But I, this show made me so paranoid. One time I was at, uh, around Christmas, I was putting tape onto a present, and I, I put my fingerprint on. And as I, as I put the present under the tree, I noticed it left a perfect fingerprint. And I thought, that's how they're going to get me. That's how they're going to catch me. They find the fingerprint. Anyway, where was I? Oh, yes, Jesus. So, so, so when we have the promises of God in our lives, we become like detectives where we are looking, even in those most difficult places, for the fingerprints of God. We say, where are you, God, in this? Where are you in this moment? I'm, I'm looking for God's fingerprints, even in these really difficult moments. Sometimes it's only when we look back with hindsight that we can trust God moving forward. Now, I want to take a look right now, today, at a specific place in the Old Testament. Because there's some times in our lives when, when God fulfills his promises in 
big bombastic ways where God meets us right when we ask for help, when God intervenes in our lives in huge, miraculous, supernatural ways. And I really do believe God still does that in our lives today. And then other times he works in totally different ways. And there's a place in the Old Testament where God met two different men in two different ways. And I want to look at that. It's a place in the Old Testament, a geographic location called Dothan. And when we look at this, I want you to remember, the big point of this is that no matter what it looks like, God always keeps his promises. I want you to turn to your neighbor and say, God keeps his promises. God keeps his promises. Now, I'm showing you this. This is a map of ancient Israel, and that's Dothan up there. So, so I want to talk a little bit about this place, Dothan, because there's two Bible stories that happen in Dothan, in the Old Testament. And they both tell us something about how God can fulfill his promises in our lives today and what it might look like. So the first story in Dothan, I want to tell you, is from the book of 2 Kings, from chapter 8. Now, this is a story of Elisha. He's one of the prophets of the Old Testament, one of the prophets to the people of Israel. And you, you might know that Elisha came right after Elijah. I sometimes get their names mixed up. But Elisha came right after, uh, Elisha came right after Elijah. Now, in this story, it's a really interesting story. Um, there is a people group uh, that, that is led by the king of Aram. Now, the king of Aram has been sending all of these troops into Israel to ambush Israeli troops. So he's trying to attack Israel, but he's trying to do it with these ambushes. Now, he's getting mad at Elisha. The king of Aram is getting mad at Elisha because Elisha, somehow, by some kind of divine knowledge, knows exactly where they're going to be. And he's telling uh, the, the troops from Israel, he's telling the king of Israel, hey, there's going to be an ambush in this place. And it's messing up everything for the king of Aram. He, he can't uh, he can't really uh, wage a good warfare because of Elisha. And so what he does is he finds out where Elisha is. Where is Elisha? It turns out he's in this place, Dothan. And so what the king of Aram does is he sends a huge army to Dothan to surround the city so that he can attack and kill Elisha. He can attack and kill Elisha. Now the army surrounds Dothan. And Elisha has a servant uh, in, this, in the text that calls him the young man. And the young man comes to Elijah and Elisha and is freaking out. He says, what are we going to do? And Elisha looks out and, and he sees a vision. But, but actually a vision uh, is a little bit misleading because it's not like he looks out and sees something that's not there. In fact, God opens Elisha's eyes to something in the spiritual realm. He actually shows him what really is there. And Elisha looks out, and yes, he sees the armies of the king of Aram, but he sees what's in reality. He sees that there's a much more powerful army, a spiritual army of God that's surrounding that army. So that God's army is bigger than the army of the king of Aram, and that they're stronger, and that they're surrounding them. And Elisha asks God to actually strike the uh, army of the king of Aram with blindness, And right then, right in that moment, after Elisha calls out to God, he strikes them with blindness. 
And, and I'm going to pick this up. Uh, uh, Elisha gets word to the king of Israel that this has happened. And I'm going to pick this up in verse 21. It says this, when the king of Israel saw them, he said to Elisha, Father, shall I massacre the lot? So you've got, just picturing your mind, this army has been struck with blindness. So they're, they're kind of helpless. And now the Israelite king knows that he could just sweep in and take them all out. And he says to Elisha, Father, shall I massacre the lot? Not on your life, said Elisha. You didn't lift a hand to capture them. And now you're going to kill them? No, sir. Make a feast for them and send them back to their master. So he prepared a huge feast for them. And after they ate and drank their fill, he dismissed them. Then they returned home to their master. The raiding bands of Aram didn't bother Israel anymore. Now, did you see what just happened? Not only did Elisha not kill his enemies, he partied with them. Kind of a crazy way to do that. But did you also notice, he cried out to God, and right away God answered his prayer. Right away, and not just answered his prayer, answered in a miraculous way. He sees this army that is surrounding his enemy. And, and not only does he see that God's army is much more powerful, then God miraculously strikes them with blindness. That is an amazing intervention from God. That looks a little bit like what we would think it looks like when God works all things together for good. Amen? I would love some of that in my life. Now, what I want to do is I want to take a look at another time we find Dothan, this same city in Scripture. And we're going to look a little bit back in time. Uh, we talked about this character a, a couple weeks ago, Joseph. Do you remember talking about Joseph a little? We talked about this, about forgiveness, because Joseph had a lot to forgive in his life. We'll, we'll, we'll get into that a little bit, but I want to talk about uh, this character of Joseph again. If you remember, Joseph's dad was named Jacob. Jacob had 12 sons. Now, he loved all of them. There was, a, there was a perceived favoritism towards the brother Joseph. In fact, Jacob gave, gave Joseph a coat of many colors. This did not really sit well with the brothers, the other 11 brothers. Now, they all lived in Dothan, and one day, the other 11 brothers are out talking. They're taking care of livestock, and they're just steaming mad at their brother Joseph. Because he's the favored one. He's the golden boy. And they are stirring each other up, and they come up with a plan. They come up with a plan. First, they want to kill him, and then they just decide to sell him into slavery. And so they called him out into a field. They throw him into a pit. Now, he's in this pit. He knows that his brothers are either going to kill him or they're going to sell him into slavery. And Joseph cries out to God. He pleads with God, please, God, don't let this happen. Where are you? Don't let me be sold into slavery. And he waits. And he waits. And he waits. And God is silent. Now, the story of jo Joseph it takes up several chapters in the book of Genesis. But basically... It goes like this, he's sold into slavery. He ends up getting to some trouble while he's in slavery where he's, that lands him in prison. And when he's in prison, he's crying out to God, where are you, God? I need you now, God. And it seems like God is silent. But then, years later, Joseph's life 
looks very different. Later on, we find that he's become the servant of one of the most wealthy and influential leaders in Egypt, and Joseph is put in charge of all the food stores of Egypt. Now, here's why that's important. God gave Joseph a vision that there was going to be a huge famine. And because of that, when he's, he convinces the Egyptians that they have to store up as much grain as they can, this is hugely important because pretty soon a famine sweeps through the land and countless people are in danger of starving to death, including, Jacob's, uh, including Jacob and his other 11 sons. Joseph's own family is, in, in, is about to die of starvation. Now, Joseph could easily have denied his brothers, right? He could have gotten revenge, but, but this was his response, and we read this a couple weeks ago, but his response to his brothers is this. From Genesis 50, verse 20, it says, Don't you see you planned evil against me, but God used those same plans for my good. As you see all around you right now, life for many people. Now, when Joseph was sitting in that pit waiting to be sold into slavery, it sure seemed like God was silent, right? It sure seemed like God wasn't going to intervene. Years later, when Joseph's sitting in prison, you'd forgive him for questioning God's promises, right? You'd forgive him for saying, where are you, God? What about God working all things together for my good, right? Well, some of the best chapters of our lives won't have a title until much later. See, it's not until the end of the story that you see God's fingerprints, right? It's not until the end of the story that you see that God was there all along every step of the way, that through God's intervention, countless lives were saved. Countless lives were saved. Through God's intervention, Joseph's own family was miraculously saved. Now, I heard a preacher one time say this. He said, you don't get a testimony without a test. If you're in the middle of a season of, of, of just a lot of tough stuff, if you're in, this, in a season of pain, a season where you're saying, God, where are you? Why aren't you helping? Please consider that maybe this test is a future testimony that's still under construction. Still under construction. See, God does work all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. I want to I tell you a story about two friends of mine, Tom and Mark. Um, I, I've shared this story before, but um, it, it's a powerful one. Um, my friend Tom is a, pa- a pastor. I met him a couple years ago. I went to local licensing school, and I spent a week with, with many other pastors, and, and Tom was one of my roommates. Uh, we, they put us in, in these uh, 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 dorm rooms where we had to share, bunk up with two other guys, and I was with Tom and, uh, and Nick. And Tom, uh, real interesting life story. Tom did not grow up believing in God or attending church. In fact, um, his faith story starts with his daughter, Emily. She was born uh, with a lot of issues. 
she had hydrocephalus from the day she was born. She, she was born with hydrocephalus and had many seizures every single day. And one day, when she was just a couple weeks old, Tom and his wife uh, were seeing a neurologist, and the neurologist gave them some really bad news. They said uh, Emily was very likely never to speak or ever learn to walk. She'd likely continue to suffer seizures and require constant assistance for the rest of her life. Uh, and while the doctor's saying all of this, strangest thing happened. In the doctor's office, Tom's sitting there, and he hears a voice. And he knew right away, for some reason, that it was the voice of God. This is a guy who doesn't believe in God, by the way. The voice said, Tom, I'm going to heal your daughter. As they're leaving the doctor's office, of course, his wife is, is terribly demoralized by this, the, this bad news that they've just gotten. And, and Tom said to his wife, honey, I know what the doctor said, but I think Emily's going to be fine. God's, um, God told me that he's going to heal Emily. And his wife said, God, we don't believe in God. We don't even go to church. And Tom said, well, we do now. As the months and years went on, Emily's seizures became fewer and fewer. Uh, she started actually reaching milestones. Now, now, she was late to reach a lot of her milestones, but she reached all these milestones that they said she never would. She did learn to walk. She did learn to talk. And every year they would go back to the same neurologist, and every time he was shocked, and he'd say, I just can't explain it. And Tom would say, I can. God healed my little girl. A fun postscript to this story is that Tom pastors a small rural church in, in, in uh, uh, north-central Missouri. And uh, uh, they had an older lady who played piano, and she was not able to keep coming every single week. Their new piano player on each Sunday now, now that their old pianist uh, retired, is none other than Emily. Now, how could you not sing hallelujah with her playing the piano, Right? Let me tell you about my other friend, Mark. Now, back in, in 2007, uh, Mark and his wife had a baby, uh, a boy named Lucas. Lucas was born with incredibly similar uh, situation as Emily. Uh, he had numerous brain abnormalities. He was born with severe hydrocephalus. They had to put in a shunt to drain off the fluid, and right away he began suffering seizures, usually dozens of them every day. Um, now, Mark and his wife are people of faith, and I remember this years ago. They gathered all of their friends that, that would pray with them, and we would pray for hours, God, heal Lucas, for God to stop the seizures, for God to help him to learn to walk, to help him to learn to talk. Now, now Lucas is 12 years old now. Lucas cannot speak. Lucas cannot walk. He does still have seizures, although a lot less seizures. They're able to control it a lot with medication. He does require a lot of care. Now, if you talk to Mark, he'll tell you that in the challenges that their family has faced, they've really come to know how faithful God is. They've really come to know how faithful God is. They've had two more daughters. Uh, they, their, their other two daughters do not have the same challenges as Lucas physical struggles, but they have grown to fiercely love their brother. 
fiercely love their brother. In fact, Mark said it's because of their life with Lucas that his daughters have become more patient, more empathetic, and have more concern than almost any other kids their age. Uh, Because of Lucas' needs, they, they have lots of nurses and therapists who've kind of become an extended part of their family. And I know for a fact that many of those nurses and therapists have encountered God often for the first time in Mark's house because of the faith, the incredible faith that Mark and his family have and the amazing love that they have. Now, I'll tell you this. My friend Tom is a man that trusts God. My friend Mark is a man that trusts God. And we don't always know how God is going to work things out in our lives. But I do know that in all things, God works for the good of those who are called according to his purpose. And sometimes it comes all in an instant. And sometimes it's not till later on that we're able to see how God came through, how his promise was fulfilled in our lives. I'm going to invite our worship team back up to the stage. I don't know where you're at, but maybe you could consider the test you're in right now. Maybe that this test you're in is a testimony that's under construction. That God is still working all things together for the good of those who are called according to his purpose. Some of the best chapters of your life won't have a title until much later. Will you pray with me? Lord God, I thank you for your promises and how they help us in our lives to face all sorts of things, Lord God with the confidence that you are working all things together for our good. And I pray that you would give us a God-sized vision of our lives. That you would help us, Lord, that in all things, like, like the prophet Elisha, to be able to look out and see that your armies are greater than the armies that are against us right now, God. Give us eyes to see that you're always with us, Lord God, in every moment, in every circumstance. The greater is he who is with us than he who is in the world. pray, Lord God, that you would give us the boldness to stand on your promises and to look for you in every circumstance. We pray this in your holy name. Amen.